1: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events.
0: You have to listen to guys go on and on about how they're turning their Twitter feeds into blogs, their blogs into books, and their books into Twitter feeds.
1: Pretending that your podcast is work, right?
2: I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And from WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. This
3: week on the show... One of the
2: Mythbusters, Adam
3: Savage, described me as a nerd whisperer. That's author Mary Roach, who wrote books like Stiff, Spook, and Bonk, all about weird gross science you've always wanted to know more about but were afraid to ask.
2: That and odds are, even if you haven't been watching Orange is the New Black, you've been hearing a lot about it. But we want to get another new show on your radar. We talk with a TV aficionado about the new AMC show we think you should be watching, Halt and Catch Fire.
4: Computers aren't the thing. They're the thing that gets us to the thing.
2: All that plus your nerd confessions, Star Trek Voyager style, on this week's Nerdette.
0: Program complete. Enter when ready.
2: In a minute, we'll talk with pop science writer Mary Roach. But first, we want to bring your attention to a show that might not be on your radar. It's called Halt and Catch Fire. It's from AMC. It's about
3: computer engineering in Texas in the 1980s.
4: Now tell me one thing that will be true about computers 10 years from now. Well, fully
5: intelligent machines will simulate the actions of neurons more closely Uh, replicate. Okay, thanks.
4: You.
3: Uh... Computers will be connected together across one network with a standard protocol.
4: Like phone lines?
3: Obviously
2: phone lines. What's your name? Cameron. Cameron Howe. Trisha, this is a show I started watching because you told me to. And I watched the
3: pilot after I came across a glowing review on Ars Technica.
1: The idea is that they could possibly create their own computers that work just like IBM's but cost less and make a ton of money. So it's sort of echoing some real-life stuff that happened in the Dallas area then, but mixes in a Steve Wozniak, Steve Jobs sort of dynamic between its two main creators.
3: That's Sam Muscovich. He wrote a review about halt and Catch Fire on the site Ars Technica. And we asked him to get on the phone and tell us a little more about why he's so excited about this show.
1: I think that it's a pretty fantastic show in terms of Having a lot of emotion and a lot of tech stuff without either getting in the way. When things are technical, it's not being dumbed down, but it's also not getting in the way of what these characters are trying to accomplish, how they get along. I honestly, I thought that balance was really cool.
3: The show does a really good job of balancing things in another way, too.
1: One of its strengths is that it has really strong women. Carrie Boucher is a Texas Instruments employee in the show. And so at one point, she's taking apart a speaking spell with her child, explaining how it works and is also able to be fluent with the other characters.
2: Over here
5: on the circuit board, you've got the ROM chip. That's like the brain that remembers all the words. 128 kilobits worth, that is a lot of words. And then you've got your VFD display right here. That's the part that shows you the words. And the speech synthesizer chip right here. That is the extra special
2: one they make where mommy
5: works. I got it.
2: Which I have to say is the best passing of the Bechdel test I've seen in some time. Totally.
1: Mother, daughter, (laughs) speak and spell tinkering, sign me up. And there's also Mackenzie Davis, who plays sort of a punk rock engineer, and she adds this sort of early 80s punk aesthetic to the proceedings.
3: Everything I'm studying here is so totally 10 years ago that no one who matters pays attention to anything I do.
4: I'm paying attention.
3: Yeah, but do you matter? Hey, can we get
5: two more?
4: Would you know if I did? (laughs) What
5: is this, anyway? Some kind of job interview?
4: Maybe, maybe not. Depends on you.
5: I'm surprised
1: that more reviewers didn't really touch on the fact that a lot of these technically-minded shows sort of put women on the back burner as opposed to showing that they too can really lead and be interesting and add both technical and emotional heft to these sorts of stories. And so that's kind of what I'm really looking forward to and why I'm putting more eggs into my basket of hope for this show, not just being sort of a one-trick oh, here's a geeky reference, oh, here's a geeky montage sort of thing.
3: I think it's sort of an antidote to Silicon Valley from HBO, which I've loved and I think it's hilarious, but it isn't exactly rich with female characters.
5: Okay, guys, this place is a vortex of distraction. Normally in the tech world is 2% women. Guys, these next three days, 15%.
2: It's
3: a goddamn meat market.
2: I need you to focus Another aesthetic that's quite lovely, if I do say so myself, is that this show also features Lee Pace, who you might remember from Pushing Daisies. He's like a young, tall, heavy-browed John Cusack.
3: (laughs) I love anytime a description of another human being is John Cusack.
2: (laughs) Except taller. What more could you ask for? AMC's Halt and Catch Fire. Check it out. Next up on this week's Nerdette, author Mary
0: Roach.
1: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org/events.
2: From Chicago Public Media, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and she's Tricia Bobita. Now it's time for
3: our conversation with Mary Roach. She wrote the book Stiff, Bonk, Spook. Her latest, Gulp, is now out in paperback. And my very favorite is Packing for Mars, which is all about the weird science involved in space. And really all her books are about weird, gross, grown-up science.
2: To a certain extent, you can even call it popular science because really what Mary is doing is asking herself a question that I think most of us usually has and then going out and investigating that question. I first heard about Mary Roach from my mother, who's also named Mary, weirdly enough. (laughs) And what Mary does is essentially first person adventuring through science. The idea is she wants to know about what happens to your body after you die or why our digestive system is the way it is. And then she goes out and explains it, not only in a really in-depth scientific fashion, but also kind of hilariously. It's this beautiful combination of really well-reported and researched, but also kind of disgusting and hilarious. (laughs) My mom was so excited to hear that we'd be interviewing Mary that she even had a question that she demanded I ask. So you can hear that in this interview too.
3: So Mary, I've heard you say that the cocktail for your research is science, history, humor, and grossness. And I just wondered, were you always interested in the gross. A lot of us, I think, were told to grow out of being interested in some of those bodily functions or to not find them funny anymore. But it sounds like you rejected that notion. Is that fair?
6: Yeah, I think it's always good to be in touch with your inner 12-year-old boy. I know I like the shameless honesty of it, and I guess I don't particularly care what most people think of me. <laughs> I think again I'm kind of tapping into something that most people are fascinated by but they just don't really want to go out in public and make that known so instead they read
2: my books. <laughs> so it's almost like the increase in popularity of ebooks is for like the benefit of 50 shades of gray and then your books because no one can judge
6: right who knows yeah, what exactly. they're reading. Nobody on the can tray. see the cover. <laughs> <laughs> what are you reading? Um, you know. Nonfiction? Nothing. Nothing.
2: Science? Yeah. (laughs) One thing that your fascination with gross things kind of reminds me of is that my mother has always been really excited about mold formations. I'd be a little kid and we'd be cleaning out the refrigerator and she'd find something really old in the very back and kind of pull it out and be like, oh, check this one out. And now as an adult living alone with a kind of grody refrigerator, I'm so grateful to have that sense of just like wow, this fuzzy white stuff on the end of this cucumber is fascinating.
6: It's a mold garden. Holy, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember those project that I don't know what grade it was and when you'd get the Petri dish with the weird diarrhea-colored stuff, agar, or whatever <laughs> it was, and you would do the little zigzag thing. You'd go into the sink or the bathroom and you'd, you know, get some bacteria in it and then you'd like put it on the little petri dish and you'd put it in the incubator. The incubator would all of have that weird, clammy, horrible smell. You take it out and you're like, what's growing? And that was science, but it was also just really gross fun. Good gross fun.
2: A lot of what you do with your books is sort of present this world to people who otherwise might not have considered them to the detail that you're really looking into them. And I was wondering, you know, in terms of your research what percentage of what you're doing is just asking dumb questions on purpose?
6: Sure, it's asking really common questions that, you know, a lot of people, it wouldn't occur to them to ask whether they wouldn't think it was seemly. It's questions that seem weird until you kind of think about them and you think, well, probably most people have wondered that at some point in their lives, but just didn't really give voice to it because it would make them sound like weirdos.
3: I love in, I think it might even be in the introduction, at the very start of Gulp, you say that you live for the single-minded men and women who tackle questions no one else has the courage to think about or ask. And I love that in your work, you find these scientists who aren't maybe the ones who are great at talking to the public. Not everyone can be as smart as Chris Hadfield and make it accessible to an eighth grader. But your job is sort of to translate for a lot of these folks who've spent their whole lives studying one very odd specific thing that probably nobody asks them about at dinner parties anymore. Because the question of what do you do is maybe an intense answer. How do you find these people and how do you draw them out and get them to make their work more accessible so that you can give um, it to an audience?
6: Yeah, one of the Mythbusters, Adam Savage, described me as a nerd whisperer, <laughs> which I quite liked. But I think it's just I have a kind of uh, maybe a sense of affinity with people like that because I get really excited about, real you know, like you with the mold in the refrigerator. You geek out over science, and when you find somebody who can answer these questions and who has this area of expertise, like, my God, there's somebody who knows every possible thing about spit. You know, this woman who works in a lab, and P.S. is beautiful and Italian, To spend an afternoon with someone like that is just such an appealing way to spend time. I don't have to really draw them out. I think they just respond to curiosity and enthusiasm, whoever you are, if you're curious about their work. Like you said, those are people who their spouse, their kids, their friends are really tired of hearing about it or they're not interested or they feel a little funny bringing it up because it's gross. So when somebody says, wow, I want to hear all about what you do, it's so cool what you do. People are like, oh, yeah, really? Great. And uh, it's the easiest thing in the world. There's no trick to it.
3: That's beautiful. I love it. The nerd whisperer is something <laughs> that I would put on a business card if anyone ever said it about me.
2: Yeah, you should tattoo that somewhere, Mary. <laughs> there must be some pretty incredible topics that you've maybe like started to research and then realized wouldn't make a good book but are still super interesting and weird. We were wondering if you could tell us about any of them.
6: Surprisingly few things I've gone very far down the road and then rejected. I tend to eliminate things pretty quickly. And people will write to me and go, Oh, you should do a book on skin, which is really interesting. And maybe, but it's a little, eh, you know, a little confining. Um, or <laughs> It's literally drugs, confining. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's literally a little confining. Yeah. Or drugs and alcohol. People are always telling me that for some reason. Or sleep. And they would be really fascinating, but they're too much internal states which are hard to write about you know how you when somebody tells you your dream it's so dull just like <laughs> stop talking stop now <laughs> that you know how How do you write about sleep in a way that's varied and fascinating and keep people reading packing from Mars. originally i had this idea to do a book that had to do with human guinea pigs and people who experimented on themselves historically and also people who make a living as guinea pigs, but it was too narrow. So what I did was take the thing that got me interested, which was the bed rest facility where people sign on to stay in bed for three months, which is an analog way to simulate zero gravity and look at the effects of it. That's sort of initially what I found fascinating. I was like, oh, what could the book be that would incorporate this? And I thought, oh, well, duh, space.
3: The bed rest program was in the news recently, and it's just so fascinating. I wonder if you can explain to our listeners a little bit about what it is that the headlines sort of had fun with it on a lot of different sites. They said, you know, basically, NASA will pay you very well to lay down and watch Netflix for however many months. But there's more to it than that, and it doesn't sound so fun once you get into the details.
6: Well, when NASA has a need to know what does being weightless do to your body and how can we counteract that, your muscles and your bones waste away, deteriorate, because you don't need them because you're floating. If you lie in bed without getting up for three months, you're going to start to have some of the deterioration that an astronaut in zero gravity would have. So that's what they do. They have people come in and get into bed, stay there for months, and they can play video games, they can watch Netflix, they can be on the computer, they have a special things so they can sort of see it in front of their face when they're lying on their backs or whatever, which is very, very appealing to certain kind of um, slacker video game <laughs> addicts. Oh my God, are you going to pay me $17,000 to just lie around and play video games and watch TV? But in fact, it's very uncomfortable. Your back hurts for the first couple of weeks. You have to use a bedpan for everything. And that's very uncomfortable and awkward. And not very many people would sign up twice, although there are some. Uh, (laughs) and You don't get the money until you complete it. If you go partway through and drop out, you don't get paid. So it's not for everyone. I'm a little amazed
3: that this isn't the worst reality show on television already. (laughs) The idea that the money only goes to the person who makes it to the end made me think, I'm surprised there's not a GoPro just in the room that we can watch these people do nothing until they can't do nothing anymore.
6: Yeah, I'm kind of surprised, too, So it would be the world's dullest reality television show. I mean, it was fun to go and spend a couple of days with those people and talk to them. It was fascinating, but as television, <laughs> not much happens. <laughs> Pretty dull.
3: And yet somehow I feel like it would be more fulfilling to watch that than most of the reality shows.
6: I have this weird fascination for really boring webcams. Not that I spend much time on them. <laughs>
3: I like to think that's what a two-monitor setup is for at home. So you can be working on the one and just occasionally glance over at the paint drying and then glance back at your work. Yeah, exactly.
2: So my mother has a question that she insisted that I ask you. I remember when she was reading Bonk and she called me up and like read me this passage out of your book which she does when she's reading something she really loves. She insists on calling and reading at me about them. This is a mother with a mold? Yes, this is the mother. With I really the mold. like her. She she actually grew up in <laughs> Oakland, so she's like super excited that I'm talking to you on a number of different levels. But she wanted me to ask you about a study that you mentioned about male and female genital slang. You know where I'm going mm-hmm, with this? Mm-hmm where there are 351 different ways to say the word penis, and only three for clitoris. And my mother is completely indignant about this. And she's like, you need to ask that Mary Roach if she can come up with some nicknames for the clitoris, because something has to be done.
6: (laughs) True. You know what we need? There's some writer in England I just heard about who invents Cuss words. Yeah, we need someone, possibly not me. I'm, I don't know that I'd be the best person at this, but <laughs> someone needs to come because it was bean, knob. I mean, they were nothing. And then for penis, we had like the purple custard chucker and the <laughs> bishop and the, the vicar, and they were all these wonderful, evocative, not crude or gross, but just delightful. Most of those being British, I think. For the clitoris, nothing.
2: Nothing. It is really disappointing. And clitoris is such a clinical word, too. I think it really does embody sort of our approach to sex in general, right, and the genders. Yes.
6: Clitoris, yeah. Or I say clitoris, but I think, you know, the little Merriam-Webster dictionary thing where it pronounces it for you? Mm-hmm. I think it might even say clitoris. <laughs> I think I have a footnote in Bonk about that, where I wasted like half an hour um, <laughs> looking up, oh, oh you know, and then I got distracted by whether they had a male or a female saying, because it was different for different words. They had men saying some words. At oh. first I thought, hey, they had the guy saying all the manly things. And then I realized that that wasn't true and that they had made an effort to mix it up. And I tried to figure <laughs> out the pattern and how did Merriam-Webster assign them so as not to seem sexist. <laughs> and I was like, another half hour of my life gone by.
2: That is a beautiful rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
3: I would say that we could ask our listeners to call in with their suggestions, but I think that's a different podcast. I think we'll leave that to Dan Savage. Savage. Uh, (laughs) Maybe we should suggest that people call Dan Savage and leave him messages (laughs) about... Slang words
2: for the clitoris. (laughs) (laughs) It's beautiful. Thank you. I'll let her know. She'll be (laughs) delighted.
3: (laughs) Be sure to check out all of Mary Roach's books. Stiff is about what happens to our bodies when we die. Bonk is about the science of sex. Gulp is about the digestive system. Packing for Mars is all about the weird science of what it'll take to go to deep space.
2: And now here's your homework from Mary.
6: Here's a homework assignment that I intended to do for Gulp and I never got around to it, possibly because it's kind of gross.
3: I am so uh, excited. For
6: me, you know, it's a little... Okay, but the, here here it is. It's a science experiment. Saliva contains amylase, which breaks down starches. And supposedly, if you have some custard or yogurt and you spit into it, it will suddenly, very quickly become far more watery. And I never did this. I saw some film footage of it, but I was like, I had on my to-do list for a long time, spit in custard. <laughs> And I kept transferring it from one to-do list to the next. And I never did it because it's kind of gross to spit in your custard. I don't know if it works with yogurt, but you could try it. So there you go. Spit in your food and see what happens. There you go.
2: (laughs) Yeah, my mom's going to be the one spitting for
6: sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she's my kind of (laughs) gal.
2: Oh, man. Well, Mary, thank you so much for talking with us. We really appreciate it. It was too much fun.
6: It was very fun. Thanks so much for including me.
5: Saliva
3: Thanks to Mary for that homework. And don't blame us if you get in trouble at the dinner table.
2: I would say this is one of those situations where you should ask for permission and not just <laughs> forgiveness, but it's totally up to you. Do what you got to do. It's for science, after all. For science. <laughs> Your other piece of homework this week is to read Think Like a Freak. This is the newest book from Stephen Dubner and Steve Levitt, also known as the Freakonomics guys.
3: This homework is prep for next week's episode of Nerdette, where Stephen Dubner joins us for a chat.
2: That's all right here on Nerdette.
6: Listen.
3: Now it's time to hear
0: from you. These are my confessions. If I'm gonna tell it, then I gotta tell it all. Damn, they when I got that phone call. Nerd
2: confessions.
0: My nerdette confession is that I stream school board meetings for communities that I've never even lived in. Alright, goodbye.
2: Full disclosure, this is my friend, Tim. And I think the whole broadcasting of school board meetings is much more common in Alaska than it is in the rest of the United States. But this is a very common thing that public radio stations do as sort of a public service. Because, you know, if you live like 100 miles away up in the mountains, odds are you're not gonna be able to drive in for a school board meeting. But you maybe still want to tune in because your kids go to the school or whatever. In Tim's case, he's just a really big school nerd. So that's really all we can say about that.
3: I was on the other side of this equation when I was in high school. I worked for our community access cable TV station, and one of my jobs was recording all of the school board meetings, running a board, filming the meetings, tearing it all down, and going home again. I did that every time there was a school board meeting for like three years in my high school. Of
2: course, you did. Of course, you did, Tricia. <laughs> I would expect
3: nothing less. It from meant all you. the school board members knew me by name, which they would have anyway because my mom taught in the district but I got to go to all of those school board meetings and I'll be honest, I don't think I paid as close attention as Tim did and I was the one filming them, not the one streaming them. <laughs> one more nerd confession for you.
5: Hi, Greta and Trisha, this is Caitlin. My nerdette confession is that when I was in middle school, I was a huge Star Trek Voyager fan and in particular, a Captain Janeway fan, of course. You can try and stop us from getting to the truth, but I promise you, if you do, I will respond with all the unique technologies at my command. Janeway out. And so I used the, at that point, still fairly new internet to find out Catherine Janeway's birthday, which is May 20th. And my best friend and I decided that we were going to throw Captain Janeway a birthday party as an end of school kind of treat. So we made Catherine Janeway, a birthday cake, which in my family meant carrot cake with cream cheese frosting. And we ate carrot cake on the deck for Captain Janeway, the two of us. And then we had a sleepover and spent the rest of the night writing Star Trek fan fiction. And I still really love Voyager. And of course, I also really love Kate Mulgrew on Orange is the New Black, my new nerd obsession. might not look like it, but there's rules in this place. The most important of which is, the second you're perceived as weak, you already are. So, that's my nerd confession. It was really good cake, and I really hope that Catherine Janeway in some other parallel universe enjoyed it. I sure did.
2: Bye! I love this so much for so many reasons, but mostly because if you're going to have a non-chocolate cake, it should be carrot cake with cream cheese frosting.
3: I love it, too, because now I know what Janeway's birthday is, and we can celebrate it next year because she's a Gemini.
2: Call us at 312-600-5638 to tell us about when you were at your nerdiest. Everything from epic fails to humble brags are
3: welcome. 312-600-5638. Call us, and we may play your nerd confession on next week's show. Or just say hi.
2: We love voicemails. Extra special shout out this week to Comic Nurse. She didn't call and leave her nerd confession, but she drew hers as a comic, and I wept tears of beautiful, happy joy when I saw this.
3: It involves the Bee Gees and a nun, and you have to check it out. It's on our Tumblr, nerdatpodcast.com.
2: You can follow us there for lots of nerdy musings and links all week long. I you know your eyes in the sun.
5: I feel you touch me in the ball.
3: Just posted a link to Mary Roach's TED Talk titled "10 Things You Didn't Know About Orgasm."
4: The most curious one that I came across was a it was a case report of a woman who had an orgasm every time she brushed her teeth. This was then <laughs> this was uh, something in the complex sensory motor action of brushing her teeth was 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 triggering orgasm, and they and she went to a neurologist who was fascinated, and you know he checked to see if it was something in the toothpaste, but no, it happened with any brand. Uh, They stimulated her gums with a toothpick to see if that was doing it, nope. It was the whole, you know, motion. Uh, And the amazing thing to me is that, now you would think this woman would like have excellent oral hygiene. (laughs) Sadly, she. this is what it said in the journal paper. She believed that she was possessed by demons and switched to mouthwash for her oral care. It's so sad.
3: <laughs> Maybe not safe for work, but in the way that like a TED Talk is not safe for work, so still pretty safe for work.
2: <laughs> Big thanks again to author Mary Roach for joining us this week.
3: Find us on WBEZ.org slash podcast. And you can talk with us on Twitter at Nerd at Podcast and
2: like us on Facebook. The show is produced by us, Tricia Bobita and Greta Johnson. With help from Joe Dessau. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about issues that affect nerds like you. More information is available at chicagopublicmedia.org.
3: Thank you for listening on
2: iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Throw us some stars. Leave a review if you're feeling generous. Like Blue Tofu1 did on iTunes. Thanks, Blue Tofu. Is it safe to eat blue tofu or is that a sign that something bad has happened?
3: I'm not really sure. It seems like maybe something bad would have happened to
2: your tofu if it turned blue. Yeah, speaking of fridge mold.
3: Our theme music is New Old Toys by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework.
0: Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO Original Limited series.